Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the third episode of In-Game Chat. I hope everybody is doing well during these times and staying healthy and staying indoors. Today, we have another coworker, Joel, here. Hello. To talk about digital card games. our main topic digital card games i feel like we can't really talk about this without talking about you know physical trading card games well that's what i was thinking i was thinking i know this is mostly a video game podcast but i think the gaming topic in general here of card games uh is just they're really intertwined yeah like i mean what was your what was your first card game i think i know the answer to this. yeah definitely Yu-Gi-Oh. and i'm assuming okay. that's the same for you too it is the same for me i mean unless you count you know like Games with cards, you know, like a regular deck of fifty-two playing oh, no, cards. No, 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 like, no. yeah, it's different, but like, it all it all kind of ties back together about like you know why games with cards uh, are fun. I did you know enjoy playing those. Those were some of the first games that I played as a very young child, and then obviously moving on to the whole trading card game genre with Yu-Gi-Oh. Though probably as as a kid, getting into that more because of the anime and the show to go along with it. Yeah, definitely. I can't actually can't remember if I played the game first or watched the anime first. For me, it was like Playground Friends or whatever. Uh, we're all getting into it at the time, and I kind of encountered both the game and the show kind of hand in hand, right? Mm -hmm. The kids were just like, oh, you should watch this, and also we're playing with the cards, uh, and I did both. Yeah, and as a kid, like the other card game that I would play besides Yu-Gi-Oh would be Pokemon. I don't know if you ever played that at all. I remember being gifted uh, a secondhand, uh, reasonably large collection of of Pokemon cards, uh, and I never really learned how to play the game properly. Yeah, I just, exactly. Like, you know, yeah. looking at the pictures. No one actually bothered to like learn the rules, so like just mm -hmm. random stuff would be made up, and it would just end up being stuff like, "Oh, my Pokemon looks cooler. It's a legendary Pokemon." So mm -hmm. it'd just be something to collect, but not really play. But yeah, I would say Yu Gi Oh is definitely my first introduction to trading card games yeah it wasn't until many years later for me that i you know in the middle of high school that i re-encountered the game i had a friend who was playing Yu-Gi-Oh at the time and like really into the competitive scene he played this deck and i was like okay well we're learning the rules of the game and uh i was like oh wow look at all the stuff that you can do when you're following the rules <laughs> and also like how interesting and you know much more strategic feeling this game actually is and I think for me, it kind of captured me because having a card game as a competitive outlet, I felt a lot more comfortable in that space because just, you know, the turn-based nature of the game meant that you can take your time, plot yeah. your moves. There's no... Uh, you can think at your own pace. Yeah, yeah. And that's not, you know, and some people like that, like the ability to out race your opponent. Yeah. There's a physicality aspect to StarCraft too, almost. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I got really attached to that, and we started going to our local, I say local tournament store, but we had to drive almost an hour across the city to go to our uh, Saturday morning uh, local Yu-Gi-Oh tournament. Uh, and of course, you know, still getting into the game, not really understanding what it was to be competitive, got trounced our first few times. All of my friends, you know, went there with these decks that we had built out of just random cards. This is even before we started buying singles off the internet right uh <laughs> that's when it really gets serious um but you know gradually getting into that whole sphere of what it means to be you know a, a tcg player following a meta game keeping up with new releases uh okay so you got into magic starting around what was this high school Around Yeah, so it was still high school. It was actually, it was funny because I learned to play Magic digitally. My first experience with Magic was playing Duels of the Planeswalkers. Uh, we were getting sick of Yu-Gi-Oh! for a number of reasons, and we just wanted to kind of, really we wanted to get back to the time when it was just the group of friends playing kind of the kitchen right. table style. And, you know, once you graduate from that, you can't really return to it. Yeah, because you just realize how unoptimal things are. <laughs> uh, so we wanted to kind of start that over again. Of course, we also wound up then finding out a store to go to for FNM, uh, which was much closer to us than the store uh, that we used to go play mm -hmm. Yu-Gi-Oh! at. 
So we got into doing that and, you know, the whole competitive playing standard, you know, arms race amongst our group of friends started <laughs> yeah. all over again. Uh, <laughs> and then card games started going digital. I remember people talking about Hearthstone coming out around that time of Magic. And it was just shortly after. I think I remember Hearthstone coming out oh, yeah, around no it was my first year, first was year of university. Time there? Oh, Hearthstone was 2014. March 11, 2014. So about like six years ago. Okay, so okay, I'm I'm misremembering then. I remember people talking about it, like hearing about its development. I think it came out in 2014, though. Um, that was really interesting. Being a Magic player and trying it out for the first time, I'm just like, oh, this is just really dumbed down Magic. That was my impression, and you know, I I had a little bit of fun with it. I played it for a time. I, I never spent any money on it. Mm-hmm. I was trying to go entirely uh, free to play, and I realized yeah, you, that, it was like, a it was a grind. I did the same. And I think I would have been more uh, inclined to get into it if I could have spent the money to to just build a deck that I wanted to play rather than, you know, trying to, you know, you just have to buy buy packs until you have the cards you want or the dust for the cards you want. That model always uh, irked me a yeah, little bit. Yeah, I was trying to do free-to-play, and I, d- I kept up with it for, like, two or three years, Hearthstone. Um well, let me, yeah, let me, I can back up a little bit. So I was only basically playing Yu-Gi-Oh! as like a kid. And then like on the Game Boy or DS, there was like, you know, video game versions of Yu-Gi-Oh! And so I think that was like my first video game mm-hmm. card game. Um, Those are just like, they're not any different, mm-hmm. I would say, from, you know, what Yu-Gi-Oh! is. But Hearthstone was my first you know actual digital card game. And I think it's like, unique in the sense that yeah it's no longer because physical card games by nature are like trading card games they're tcgs Mm -hmm. right hearthstone is the first like you can't trade you can't trade cards mostly for digital card games because like right it just ruins their monetization model i mean you can have a monetization model based on having trades be available but i think there's i think there's very few digital card games that will allow trades true because i think most most makers of these games want to avoid just the kind of the outrageousness that comes with markets for digital goods in general. Like you look towards Counter-Strike or whatever and right, right. people like are, are marketing, you know, they're trying to sell $300 knife skins because they're, they're rare or whatever. And uh, I don't know, the, the optics aren't very good on that from like a video games perspective, mm-hmm. I think. So they kind of want to stray away from the idea that people have uh, monetary value stored up in their accounts. Well, that's it. Okay, we can come back to this because I think it is interesting when so, we talk yeah. about like loot mm-hmm. boxes or something. Mm-hmm. We can talk about mm-hmm. that. I mean, card games were the original loot boxes, exactly. right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we can touch on that later. I do want to talk mm-hmm. about that. But yeah, Hearthstone is like the first like inherently digital card game in the sense that like it doesn't really work in physical paper and right. They introduce a lot more randomness. Like card games are obviously inherently random, just by like the order of the cards in your deck. But Hearthstone will add like mm-hmm. especially random effects, like when this creature is summoned, deal one damage split randomly across right. anything or something. Randomness. Uh, if I put my game design thinking hat on, like I think like what makes card games fun is built on kind of two founding principles that you get out of having the format of a shuffled deck of cards and that you draw from and have a hand of. And that's the mixture of randomness in, in events that happen and things that can happen through the game and hidden information. So like you don't know the mm-hmm. plays that your opponent can make, right? Hearthstone's philosophy, I remember reading on this, I think it was like a developer blog or something, was when you compare Hearthstone to Magic, the basic mechanic of the game is actually like a level of randomness removed from Magic because in Magic, you have to put your resource cards Right. In your deck. And you draw those and you have to play them. In Hearthstone, they remove that. You always get one mana crystal every turn. And if you don't add more randomness somewhere else, it becomes just a game of like curving out, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And every deck is always going to curve out. Where uh, in Magic, you have this kind of knob to turn of like, well, how high does your deck's curve go? If you play more powerful cards, they have higher mana costs. Well, what do you have to sacrifice to do that? You have to put more mana cards in your deck and have risk the dead draws. 
it's a, it's another like interesting way that randomness makes games different but also like the magic mana system allows for a lot more customization in your deck building experience, right? That's interesting. I never heard of that uh, Hearthstone design philosophy there. I don't know if it was something that was like either published by one of the designers or someone doing like an analysis of the design of Hearthstone. But like, yeah, you can imagine what Hearthstone would be like if it didn't have any of those kind of weird random effects, right? Yeah, I, it would be like a lot more samey each game probably. I actually think, you know, after playing a lot of Hearthstone, I realized that was kind of the charm of Hearthstone all along. I never really took it, like, seriously as a competitive game uh, because of that, but it was fun. And, like, those the, that random wackiness created mm-hmm. entertaining moments. It was fun, and they definitely made it, like, very easy to play, very easy for mm-hmm. people to get into card games. Like, Hearthstone was big. And fun to first. watch. Yeah, it was fun to watch, too. Like, you don't have to do anything on your opponent's mm-hmm. turn. Um, It's just, like, you just play your turn. It's, like, definitely made with, like, mobile in mind, even though mobile came, like, later. Mm-hmm. Um, It's just easy to consume. Everyone played it. Um, Everyone understood mm-hmm. it. And, like, I, it was definitely, like, the first big card game, I would say, that, like, had more universal appeal. How much do you think the, the fun to watch factor made its success a big thing? I don't know how many casual gamers are there who just play and don't watch on Twitch because I think we are probably on the more serious gamers end where we are like when we're into a game, we will watch streams and try to like learn new strategies Mm -hmm. and stuff. I'm sure Mm -hmm. there are many people out there who just play casually and never bother getting more competitive about it. Mm -hmm. But there's also the opposite of people who are less interested in playing, but just like enjoy watching because of the moments that, you know, other other content creators can create, right? Hearthstone is just like me as a free-to-play player eventually after a few years it got really draining because it's just like I can't stop playing otherwise I'll just be behind in cards and then also like I didn't quit right during the Dr. Boom stage but like it was like pretty soon (laughs) after that Dr. Boom was just like this really broken Mm -hmm. card but also introduced Mm -hmm. like this randomness when it dies Um, and Mm -hmm. a lot of players complained about it but it was like also that random aspect that you're talking about. And so like Hearthstone had some randomness throughout, but before Dr. Boom, like a lot of the cards weren't amazing cards that you just kind of had to play. Like Dr. Boom was played in a lot of decks then. I remember the problems. I mean, it was that whole expansion, right? It was Dr. Boom and Piloted Shredder was the other card that was just everywhere. And wait, which card was this? Sorry. Piloted Shredder. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. It like summons another random creature when it dies. Yeah. 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 And sometimes you would get Doomsayer. And yeah, just... <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so those are like those fun moments, right? But then when it happens like in a competitive scene, it just kind of sucks. Yeah, and that feels bad to have a high-profile game decided by that, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, it's this dichotomy of designers of all genres of games trying to create games for both the casual market and the competitive market. It's a strange challenge in designing a game, for sure. But as far as Hearthstone's design goes, otherwise, like, and randomness aside, they really did start this whole using the digital design space yeah. creatively and, you know, do things that you couldn't do in a paper card game or like theoretically could do in a paper card game, but would be yeah. there would just be too much like memory burden. Right. Yeah. You just can't keep track of like the number of times you played a certain card or like summon a random creature when it dies. Just mm-hmm. random creatures. So generic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I feel like we're seeing it now more mm-hmm. in Magic the Gathering, too. Would like because a little bit. I mean, the designers of Magic claim that their design of paper cards hasn't changed because of the digital uh, landscape that they are now flirting with. I don't know. I'm feeling it. It's it's hard to look at the card designs that they put out recently and, yeah. and believe that. But we'll we'll keep going in order, I guess, and we can come back to that later. Or we well, I mean, now. So, I don't know what comes next after Hearthstone for you. Well, digital magic took a very long time, uh, magic online notwithstanding, like to have like a Hearthstone competitor that they needed to make really to stay relevant. They were pretty late in getting there, but they did, you know, people will disagree with me, but I think they did mostly a good job of capturing how it is to play magic in that kind of like sleek, smooth, user-friendly way that Hearthstone has. Yeah, Magic the Gathering had Magic the Gathering online for a very long time, but it was like kind of mm-hmm. clunky, buggy, like not very good UI. There's a learning curve to using it. 
Magic the Gathering Online is not a game so much as a simulator. It's like tabletop magic right. simulator. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know what other games. There were a bunch of like just kind of Hearthstone knockoff feeling games. I mean, every, every trading card game is a Magic the Gathering knockoff in some way. Like Magic the Gathering was just it, it created the genre. Yeah, yeah. Magic the Gathering in paper was first. From time to time, I try to figure out like what the numbers are like how popular is Yu-Gi-Oh still you know they still have like world championship tournaments they run their equivalent of GPs Grand Prix big open tournaments for those who don't know those I think are both less frequent than Magic GPs and also slightly smaller in attendance yeah, probably less prize money too probably eh, I wouldn't know that's probably true there's certainly much more money in the other digital card games. Yeah, that's why Hearthstone like <laughs> really was, I feel like, a landmark in digital card games just because it was like new... Uh, I wanted to say new IP, but it's not really new IP because it's based off like World of Warcraft, but it's like an entirely new game and not a trading card game. Just like, it's in a new form, right? And it was actually like wildly successful. Yeah. You bring up IP, which is interesting, and I think uh, I have a point to make after we talk about some more of the, the card games that have come out after Hearthstone. Yeah, there's a lot to talk about. I feel like my mind is just jumping from one topic to another, and we're not fully resolving <laughs> anything. I think the, the games that I remember coming shortly after Hearthstone were Elder Scrolls Legends, which was Hearthstone, but with two lanes on the board, mm-hmm. which I only played a few games of before I was like, eh, I wasn't interested. Uh, and then I remember another one, big one, being Shadowverse, which was just, you know, Hearthstone, but anime. The Magic the Gathering Arena, which we've talked about. Arena. Well, there's another one that I want to mention that it kind of beat Magic to the punch even more. Uh, did you ever play any of Eternal? Eternal? No. What is that by? No. Okay. So Eternal uh, was a was a digital card game that came out, I want to say, it was in beta. It started beta like the summer of 2016, I think. Yeah. Seems like release date was November 18th, 2016, according to Wikipedia. Okay, I'm just looking yeah. this up, yeah. Uh, and it was designed by a number of names from the Magic the Gathering pro community. LSV, Patrick Chapin, Patrick Sullivan, I mm, think. I think I have uh, heard of it now that you bring it up. It's very similar to Magic, much more so than any other digital game that I've encountered without being Magic. Mm-hmm. Imagine Magic, but it gets to use like the really open design space that the digital format offers, you know, where cards have memory and stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you can have like some of those random effects, you know, not not quite as egregious as Hearthstone, but you still have the system of there were like five factions, five colors, whatever you'll call them. They each had that kind of their own identity. And most of them were pretty analogous to Mag- Magic's colors as well. You know, you had like the red color, which was the burn spells and whatnot. And there was like the white color, which had all the weenies and the board sweepers and mm-hmm. similar archetypes. Yeah, yeah. It was a fun game. I think it should have been more successful than it was because it did a good job of beating a lot of other games to aspects that were uh, like niches that kind of went unfilled. But it didn't have the strength of an IP that already resonated with people. Right. I think that was kind of its. Its biggest downfall was that if it had some kind of theme, if they had acquired some sort of IP that got people's attention more than this kind of weird magical Western almost, Mm. it was strange. Mm -hmm. It was like, oh, there's like bounty hunters and six shooters and cowboys and stuff and bandits, but also magic and dragons and, you know, living stone statues. You know, they crafted a fun little universe. There was storyline behind it and characters to follow their journeys and whatnot. And it's it's still going. The game is like, oh, really? Has not died yet. Yeah, yeah. So they're still putting out set after set. You know, last time I picked up the game, I still had fun with it. Of course, I experienced that thing where I fell out of it for a while. And now if I wanted to catch up and build up my collection, it would be a lot of money or otherwise i'm just like super behind Mm -hmm. it was pretty generous as far as like much more generous than hearthstone in terms of like what you get for being a free-to-play player but it would be hard to leap in i think with nothing but yeah really good game i advise listeners to check it out at least (laughs) that is a problem with these digital card games because for you know physical trading card games if i want to get into one i could just literally buy the deck out of like singles Mm -hmm. but with 
digital card games is generally not an option to just put in some money and get a specific card. <laughs> there are layers of abstraction to it. You, if you if you do the work, you can basically decide like a pack is worth X amount of crafting material, dust, yeah. whatever. Like you're guaranteed that much, and then you know this deck costs that amount of dust. Yeah, and some people do that, but it's like a very different mentality. Yeah, and I don't think everybody does can see through that. Most people are just like, oh, I have to buy a bunch of packs and hope for the best. Ugh. And yeah, that's that's obviously a turnoff for some people, uh, which is why it is jumping forward a little bit. Uh, I can't believe, but Riot was the first company to do to upend this model and just say, yeah, you can buy whatever cards you want for a fixed price. Yeah, yeah, Legends actually. of Runeterra. That's that's very impressive. I think Riot did a lot of things well with Legends of Runeterra. Actually, so there's Runeterra is newer, so we can go back to, to Artifact. Oh yeah, Artifact. We can came talk about out. Artifact okay. flopped, <laughs> and then we can talk about what Runeterra did well. And I think that's kind of the card, those kind of card games. And I'd probably right. talk about maybe Slay the Spy or something. <laughs> Artifact is an interesting experiment in seeing. Oh man, like. It's hard to think about, you know, you look back and you ask the question, who was Artifact for? What was the psychographic of a player that they were targeting who they thought would want to play Artifact, right? Because, like, you know, it's based on the Dota 2 IP. Okay, cool. Dota is not really, like, it doesn't have a very strong universe or whatever. I doubt many people get into Dota because they think the lore is cool. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, they're into it because it's just the competitive MOBA <laughs> aspect of it. You have to get pretty deep into it to figure out like where the lore is at all, really. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, interesting choice of IP. They went more with a mechanical design. They wanted to have a card game that felt like playing a MOBA with lanes and heroes and creeps and killing enemies earns you gold. It's funny, actually, because much before they did this, I, I kind of... I think about game design from time to time and think about what kind of game I would like to design mm -hmm. and card games in particular because I play a lot of them. But if I had to design a game after Dota, MOBAs in general, right? The core mechanic is kind of this, this snowball-y thing where you kill an enemy, you set them back some, and you get some reward for it. You take an advantage, and the advantage snowballs, right? And obviously these games are designed around like, you know, oh, you can overcome these advantages that uh, with, you know, very tight play. But in a card game, advantage already kind of tends to snowball. Yeah. When one player starts amassing, you know, more resources than the other, it's very easy for them to just kind of stamp out an opponent's chance of coming back into the game. And I think if that's one of your core design tenets, it's a little bit iffy. Mm -hmm. I think the whole gold idea did get used in, in Artifact, but I think it was... That part wasn't so bad. Like the cards that you get for gold weren't so game changing that it made that part feel bad. But there was the feel bad part where if your hero died, you just couldn't play cards. And having mechanics like that that remove player agency is kind of a no no. <laughs> yeah. So you, you actually did play artifacts on? I played a very bit. I actually, I don't, I didn't play any artifact. After it was released, I was fortunate enough to have been given a key just by talking to the right people to get into like closed alpha beta stage. I don't actually think I even played any games of Artifact against another human. I think oh. I was solely practicing against AI just to get a feel for it. And there were a lot of things that felt bad about playing Artifact, and I was actually a defender of the game for a very long time trying to talk to the naysayers they would talk about like oh the the random creep direction sucks oh the the random spawns oh losing your hero in a lane not being able to play a spell sucks mm -hmm. and i'm like yeah but you know these are all concessions that have been made because they're part of how you should kind of see the game holistically right but there was a time where i was just like yeah no this isn't this isn't really <laughs> worth defending yeah 
it's interesting to see now the, you know, have you been reading like the blog posts they're coming out now for like the big refresh of the game and how they're kind of reworking the core oh, mechanics? Oh, are they? I've not heard of this yet. Yeah, no. yeah, no, they've been, it's pretty, pretty recent. There's been like a series of articles that the designers have been publishing. They're okay. getting close, I think, to launching Artifact V2. Interesting. Well, hopefully that works out better. It was essentially a dead game like a month after it was released, which was insane conforming with like a valve game which generally is very high quality very successful well and like all the design flaws are to say nothing of like the market card acquisition model which also didn't because we we were complaining earlier about the model that most digital card games uh have where you're just like collecting cards and dust and the only thing you can buy are packs Mm -hmm. and the idea that hey here's a digital card game but it has a secondary market that emulates kind of like a real market for physical card games and it turns out that the whole notion of a, of a card game market like if you're kind of embroiled in it for a time as you or i have been probably for a while you just kind of take it for granted like yeah okay cards have value some are more expensive than others because they're more people want to play yeah, them they just more demand powerful, and more decks. Yeah. yeah but from someone who is really bought into the classic digital card game model even if those models are expensive, it is a little bit like there's a sticker shock in going to a marketplace and seeing, I think it was Axe was like the big card that was $20 or something, mm-hmm. which is not even a lot as far as like expensive physical trading card game yeah. cards yeah. go. But if you're not used to seeing that kind of thing, like, yeah, it comes at a bit of a shock. And I think the fact that you the the market model where you can like trade things for monetary value and the free to play like you know you can grind out stuff like those those kind of can't coexist because you have these things that are worth money but also can be attained for nothing but time commitment right that is true otherwise just you can just make money by playing the game more yeah i mean it would be possible but then eventually everything would just deflate to the everything like, would deflate yeah. to the point of worthlessness and nobody would spend more money yeah basically and it's also interesting because you can't even really be free to play for artifact because it cost 20 dollars just to buy the game mm-hmm. which was a big turnoff for me basically why i didn't even bother trying it out because you have to mm-hmm. pay 20 dollars just to try out the game and then to actually get into it you have to pay more money for the actual cards it's a strange thing because i think because the model of the game was such that like i mean they could probably give you a starter deck or something yeah that's how they could do it, because I think it's hard to, if you want to get into the game and start with cards, but those cards have some marketplace value, like you kind of have to put price tag on that mm-hmm. in order for those cards to have that marketplace value. Mm-hmm. If they are just free, then I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It seems like Artifact was meant for really hardcore card game players because it was complicated from what i understood again i never played it but Mm -hmm. it sounds really complicated you have to pay to start playing and you have to pay as you play Mm -hmm. just all of that together just like i don't know i don't know who else would be playing unless people like really loved the game but the really hardcore players didn't like it because of the weird random swings that it had right right so it's like who was it made for come back to that original question there and like i think without casual appeal it's not gonna be big not like Hearthstone big, where it was for right. people of all levels. I don't think you levels. can design a game like that and have like 0% casual appeal. Yeah, you can't expect it to be as successful at any rate. But I think like the one thing that it did right uh, was a thing that Riot managed to steal, because of course they did. <laughs> and that was just sort of the back and forth turn structure that it had. Oh, okay. Yeah. Where it felt much more like like you make a play, I make a play, you make a play, I make a play. That felt a lot more interactive than something like Hearthstone where, you know, they can play their whole turn's mana worth of cards without worrying about being interrupted by you. And that led to a lot of, you know, kind of goldfishy feeling moments. Right. Yeah. With like Miracle Rogue or something. I mean, it's a pros and cons to it, right? It's mm-hmm. it's less to think about. You can like leave the desk on your opponent's turn to go do something. I think that's part of the more casual appeal. But once you can interact on turns, like they're... There's a lot more depth to the game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, like, that's that's one thing I think Runeterra did good. It feels, like, fresher compared to the things that are just kind of more copies of Hearthstone or of Magic. They figured out somehow how... I mean, they, they kind of tossed their bet in. I think that 
they can earn enough money selling cosmetics over like selling cards Mm -hmm. which is really like yeah that's that's kind of revolutionary for a card game i think i mean what other i guess hearthstone started selling cosmetics at some point eventually magic arena certainly does it a lot uh and theirs are quite expensive the value proposition for arena cosmetics especially on top of how expensive it is just to buy packs is kind of and that's definitely something new that couldn't be done before in like a physical trading card game because that like in physical trading card games yeah it's just it's just the cards cosmetics and physical uh, trading card games are just bling right yeah like you're spending the extra money on the shiny versions of the card yeah yeah that's fair all right, so I mean, what do we have? We have Runeterra and oh, do you want to talk about Netrunner at all? I don't know much about it though. <laughs> Netrunner is another one of those like for every oddball digital card game there are. I mean, there's lots out there that we never touched on too. Ones that utilize different mechanics. I don't know. Did you ever have any experience with any of the ones that kind of had you moving around a board like Duelist? No, no, not at all. It's it's getting into the the uh, categories of games that. I haven't played, but, you know, have observed a little of and games that tried to take the card game formula and mix them with other genres of games like Duelist was a little bit more like you t- you would take your cards and play them on this like kind of chessboard grid. Right. And the cards that you played then were like units that could move around and oh, fight and you could spend yeah. action. I actually did yeah. play one called Feria. Oh, yes. I remember I actually seeing that one. too. loved that game. I actually loved that game, um, but it just wasn't popular enough. For it to really get big. But yeah, same deal where it's like in Magic, you have lands and that's your mana resource. But like in Feria, you would mm-hmm. actually place your lands down on a physical board, kind of like Dungeon Dice Monsters from Yu Gi Oh! Mm. And then like the monsters would be on the board and they would fight there. So there's like a yeah. chess aspect to your card game, kind of like what you're talking about, I guess. And I thought that was actually really fun. Those are neat. But yeah, again, these these games live and die on the backs of the communities that they imagined, managed to generate. And it's one of the reasons I say that like a card game kind of needs an IP to be successful, because to some extent, when you start a game based on a particular IP, like there's already a community there for you, you know, of people who are engaged with your IP and want to see what you do with it. Yeah, because you definitely need that critical mass. It really is critical mass because as soon as, you know, people start dropping off of the game as soon as your queue times become too long, right? Yeah. You know, if there aren't enough players such that, like, I have to wait more than a minute just to play a match, I'm out of there. It's even harder in the physical realm, right? Because, like, you have to get to a point where people are turning up to your store's mm-hmm. game night mm-hmm. enough to have a little tournament. So, I mean, Netrunner is one of those games. That's a another kind of model entirely that we haven't talked about, too, which was the the living card game model where there are no random packs but each expansion is just something that you buy and you get all the cards and that would be interesting to see implemented in the digital space actually now that i think about it it would be interesting but i feel like it's unlikely to actually be seen just because it just doesn't make as much money it's true unless you were focusing on the cosmetics perhaps like runeterra does but in the end like just the whole like sort yeah. of loot box system is just whales will spend more money on that than anything else. It's true. If you think about it back on Runeterra's model where you are able to buy whatever card you want. And before they gated that on like you could only buy so many cards in a week, but they removed that. Even. Oh, they did. Okay. So when a whole new set comes out, you can buy every card in it for a fixed price. And that fixed price is quite high, but you could do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, yeah, Netrunner is a great game. There's really no other card game like it. I still need to try it sometime. I am holding out for a a digital reboot of it one day. I mean, there's still a lot of mystery around why Fantasy Flight, the company that made it, had to cancel it. Because it, it wasn't like the game was dying by any stretch. I think the community was still you know, involved in it. It wasn't necessarily growing, mm-hmm. but... The IP that, not like the flavor IP, but like the the game design IP of it was actually, you know, kind of on lease from Wizards. It was originally designed by Richard Garfield oh, and they they licensed it out to Fantasy Flight and did not renew that license. That, that was kind of the... Oh, and that's why it died? That's why they stopped making it. The reason that they did not renew that license is, you know, anyone's guess, but 
my conspiracy theory now uh, is that the original version of the Netrunner game designed by Richard Garfield was based on the universe of the RPG cyberpunk. Uh, I don't know. It's 20 something or other. 2077. Well, 2077 is the game. The RPG is is like cyber, cyberpunk 2020 oh, something okay, or other. Okay. 2024. Sure, sure. But that was like, you know, another D&D style pen and paper RPG that was owned by Wizards of the Coast. And Cyberpunk 2077 is also based on that. Uh. So my my theory is that it gets a rebrand with that IP once people kind of hop on that bandwagon. Once the video game comes out? Once the the Cyberpunk video game comes out, you know, people will be all over that. It'll be interesting to see actually how the IP shakes out there because obviously... Cyberpunk 2077 is being put out by CD Projekt Red, who also have published a card game. Right, Gwent. <laughs> I didn't think there's so many card games to go over, but now that we're actually sitting down here and talking about each one, it's like, oh, yeah. wow, there's actually a lot. Actually, I, Gwent is one that I wish I could talk more about because I never played the standalone version of Gwent. I actually do enjoy quite a lot playing Gwent in The Witcher 3, but I haven't reached out to try the individual game yet which i hear is oh, quite really? a bit different actually from uh how it is in in the witcher games yeah it'd be uh i wonder i wonder who'll own the rights to that who knows <laughs> okay so i'm kind of yeah we're jumping all over the place but i'm still kind of <laughs> interested in i wonder how runeterra is actually doing right now because it's it just felt really polished and like it was like hearthstone but with a little bit more depth because you can actually like Mm -hmm. chain spells on the stack in response to stuff Mm -hmm. and there seemed like there was like a a lot of depth in the game in a way that like Mm -hmm. wasn't in hearthstone but like it also wasn't quite as complicated as like magic the gathering perhaps so it felt it felt like it hit a really good sweet spot for me um, mm-hmm. I ended up stopped playing the game just because of the same problem with other free-to-play games where it just like it felt like you just had to play every single day otherwise you'd be behind especially since back well, then I mean on release anyway yeah. like they did gate how many things you could buy a week so maybe not as much of an issue now if you're willing to spend the money to just buy exactly the cards you want I suppose well they actually changed the reward structure a little bit too I don't know how long ago it was you fell off I played but... for like a month yeah, my my play pattern for Runeterra has just been I don't play a lot. I usually what I do is I just like play a draft the expedition in, in your weekly yeah. rewards. And it used to be the case that you had to play a lot even to earn that free draft mm-hmm. token, but that's no longer the case. It's basically like a gimme if you play like you know, a couple hours. Oh, that's a lot better. Uh and yeah, they reworked the rewards for how drafts were. You don't get a champion every draft now, but if you get like think level five or whatever on the experience track mm-hmm. you now get that random champion card this is a lot of shilling for Ruterra now but <laughs> <laughs> i found it very easy to maintain a casual okay uh, pace of play sounds like they're improving on that experience then which mm-hmm. is nice i hope it's easier for me to just hop back in if i ever want to because yeah once mm-hmm. i stopped playing hearthstone i try to get back into it like twice maybe with like years in between and it was just, I gave up within like a mm-hmm. day or two of not doable without spending money. Yeah. But yeah, wait, let's talk about some of this money stuff. Because I think it's really interesting when like Overwatch came out and these loot boxes really became right, a thing in the media soon. that was focused on. And soon afterwards, there's legislation that like, oh, all these loot box percentages must be very explicitly displayed somewhere and how people talk about like loot boxes was basically like gambling i don't know there was a lot of discussion around it and i thought it was just interesting because it feels like card game packs have always been the original loot boxes it's true i think even overwatch when was overwatch really the thing where this got a bunch of attention i think a combination of overwatch and gotcha games I mean, yeah, the gotcha games, that's the thing. I mean, like, it's all Skinner boxes, right? Which is like, it's a very dirty psychological tactic to squeeze money out of people. And there is nothing that you can do to, like, stop it other than kind of outlawing it, right? Because something in our lizard brains just really likes pushing a button for a random outcome to, like, have the chance to maybe get something cool. Mm. (laughs) But yeah, in terms of uh, card games, it is a wonder like whether the whole genre would be as successful as it is without 
being based on that model because you know as it was designed right the model wasn't designed so that people would be opening a million packs to try to get a specific chase card mm -hmm. it was just to create variability in the play experience right mm -hmm. they wanted you know richard garfield the godfather of card games wanted it to be the case that everybody would just have a different pool of cards to work with yeah just so that there was variability in games. Yeah, I don't right? think it was ever expected for these games to be as competitive and optimized as they are. Yeah, yeah. I don't think it was expected of any kind of gaming hobby to start with, right? I mean, like, pro sports have been a thing forever, but people like watching people be good <laughs> at stuff. Yeah, yeah. No matter what that stuff is, was surprising to, I think, a lot of folks, but... No, it makes for good entertainment. Yeah, so it's going to be interesting to see how like future card games handle monetization. Because Runeterra is doing a little differently. Mm -hmm. Artifact did it a little differently, and we'll see. Well, Artifact hasn't really spoken a lot. I mentioned like the series of blog posts that they have been putting out. I don't think they haven't really spoken as much to what the monetization model is going to look like going forward. I see. I feel like they probably are going to retire the marketplace aspect uh, of it. Okay. Be just because of how sour people were on that. And I I just realized this now where like, yeah, physical card games, right? Like you buy the cards, you can always sell them back for like at least most of the value back if you ever mm -hmm. were to be like done with this. But with digital card games, it's not the case. Like if I just put $50 in a Hearthstone, that's just $50 in a Hearthstone. I'm never going to get that back. The fact that you can't buy singles in Hearthstone, yeah, they mitigate with the fact that you can have dust and you can use the dust to craft whatever mm -hmm. card you want. But it, it's definitely like... A little predatory, I would say. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's all mobile games and not even just mobile games, but just like, you know, game monetization is, is really uh, about chasing the whales, which is too bad, but uh, it's, it's the world we live mm -hmm. in. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Capitalism, man. It's effective <laughs> at making money. That's for sure. Yeah. This is going to turn into a social <laughs> podcast very quickly. Um, but there's still unexplored space in terms of every aspect of this card game thing. And it's a very flexible genre of game because going back to those, you just have a game that's based on those two principles, randomness and hidden information, mm -hmm. right? There are loads of things that you can do with that. And somehow we're very stuck on having a system where you get a mana crystal every turn and play cards based on that. Yeah, Magic, Runeterra, Hearthstone... I'll do that. Did Artifact do that? Did you need to build mana resources? Oh, Artifact, yeah, same system. Okay, yeah. So Yu-Gi-Oh! is different in the fact that it's not based on that, but then Yu-Gi-Oh! is absolutely insane because you're not actually limited in what you can do per turn, and turn ones can already be insane in Yu-Gi-Oh! Yeah. They don't have that limiting yeah. factor there. They have factors in the creatures that you can play in one turn, but even then... There's ways to get around it with special summoning, whatever. I don't know. Yu-Gi-Oh! Yeah, seems... It's, it's hard. You know, I go back and with the more recent PC version of the Yu-Gi-Oh! games, I go back and give that a kick every once in a while just for mostly nostalgia-fueled. I figure, for you sure. know, I'm having fun while playing the game, but it's not, not as interesting. You know, I actually decided to go and watch some, like, more recent tournament footage for fun. Mm -hmm. And not only could I not figure out what was happening in a game because it was just a sequence of actions tutor this summon that yeah yeah it's an elaborate domino effect chain uh that has this end result of winning the game and as a spectator it's hard to follow and it's not it's not that entertaining yeah. to watch i don't know i mean without <laughs> like resource management in the same way like you're just uncapped in what you can do and some stuff just suddenly mm -hmm. becomes strictly optimal and you just do it every time. Mm -hmm. In some ways, it's a little bit more like it's closer to a fighting game. That randomness aspect out of it is a lot more removed, again, because of the way Yu-Gi-Oh! designs like all of its search effects yeah, and whatnot. So it's a lot more about having a deck. You know all of the inputs that your deck has that create certain outcomes and how do you play those against what your opponent's doing, right? Mm -hmm. But with a little bit of randomness sprinkled in, it's it's strange. Yeah. Whew, okay. Now, I want to talk about my favorite card game that I'm playing right your now. Your favorite card game, Slay the Spire. Slay the Spire. 
Slay the Spire is a little bit interesting because, you know, most of what we've been talking about are collectible card games. And Slay the Spire borrows from another genre of card game, right? Like, how many other deck building games had you played before Slay the Spire? Dominion. That's about it. Dominion? Dominion is probably the deck building game most people have played like if you've played a duck building game it's probably been dominion dominion is the granddaddy of that genre yeah everything we've talked about before i feel like doesn't really quite apply to slay the spire and yet it is very much so a card game Mm -hmm. but it's different because it is pve you're not playing against another Mm -hmm. player you talked about the two things that make card games fun which is like randomness and hidden information Mm -hmm. there's no hidden information really to contend with in slay the spire yeah the charm of it is that the enemies that you face you know exactly what they're going to do at least that turn Mm -hmm. like certain enemies have some random movesets but other certain enemies follow the same moveset every time so Mm -hmm. these are things that you can just straight up learn and so it's actually more based on known information you still don't know the order of cards you're going to get in your deck but it's still known information like you get to see cards are remaining in your deck at all times you get to see what cards you've discarded at all times your enemies moves cards in hand and there is a bit of an energy system kind of like mana, but so some stuff applies there. But oh yeah, for sure, it's a lot different there, and it's a rogue, rogue light, rogue like. I would call this a rogue like. I would call it rogue like. I don't, I don't distinguish between rogue like and rogue light <laughs> because I'm not that purist. Yeah, some I people suppose. distinguish it, but in my mind, rogue light means that some stuff carries over between runs, and then rogue like basically nothing carries over i guess some stuff very right. very minimal stuff in slay the spire mm-hmm. will carry over between around but it is a deck building game where you have like depending mm-hmm. on your class you have the same starting deck each time and then as you climb these levels you get to add more cards to your deck and then you try to beat the big final boss at the end of all the levels and i think it just does a lot of things well with because there is still a certain mm-hmm. element of randomness, but you can, like, depending on how well you know the game, mitigate it to a point where it's non-existent. Yeah, it's it's being approached with, you know, randomly generated kind of novel situations and figuring out, like, you know, what your best yeah. uh, actions are, or reaction, mm-hmm. I guess, like reaction to the situation that you are in. And it makes the deck building portion just really fun. It splits the fun across two parts. It's playing your deck, is fun also building your deck is now fun because i think Mm -hmm. it does a very good job of creating Mm -hmm. many many types of synergies that you can just figure out on your Mm -hmm. own even you'll pick a second card and then while playing it you're like oh wait i just realized that these cards actually go very well together and then you can build deck synergy off of that and then you pick up these other items called relics that aren't part of your deck they're just permanently there and they trigger off of Mm -hmm. certain actions as you like play um, and then you can build synergies off of that too. And it's just a lot of fun to figure these things out yourself and really take advantage of it. And when it all comes together, your deck just feels super strong. That's what the dream is, right? To have a deck that you feel like is unstoppable. Yeah, I mean, that's always the funny thing. I feel like when I have a really good deck in Slay the Spire, I'm almost sad when I've won the run. Because it was like, no, I wanted to keep playing that. Yeah, yeah. Because it was a lot of fun, yeah. Because it's a lot of effort to get to that point. And that, that right. is and what your reward is. it doesn't happen every run. Yeah. But I, I'll, I'll compare that to actually, I stated the thesis, if you will, that card games kind of have the two guiding elements. And the randomness and the hidden information are kind of present in all kinds of card games. But the last element that is kind of more unique to to the trading card game aspect, but also to Slay the Spire, is you get to build something of your own. Uh, there's a lot of self-expression, I think, in, yeah. in creating a deck for any card game. The ability to to choose your strategy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, this is the, uh, as, as Wizards Design would put it, the kind of Johnny aspect to anything. But... but also, like, Magic the Gathering has that color wheel, the five colors. And they Mm -hmm. describe like what each color should feel like playing. And then you can look at it and be Mm -hmm. like, oh, I'm definitely like this color and this color. These things really speak to me and I enjoy playing this play style. It's interesting because it hit the nail on the head so well with the kind of attaching philosophy to these elements. Because by themselves, they're just like elements of game design, right? Yeah. There's nothing special about saying that like white is the color that gets small weenie units and board sweepers and exile effects right yeah. 
you can divvy that up and like every other card game out there just kind of like takes the set of mechanics available within the game and divvies them up into factions to kind of force creativity in some ways like force the player to figure out what the best way is to combine them but in attaching a value system to each of these things there's a lot more like personal resonance that comes out of that and it's kind of the same to some degree of being like oh my favorite class to play in hearthstone is druid it's not really though it's not quite the same it's definitely not the same picking your your main class or whatever other there's some personality in it, but it's a lot more forced. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If I were to tell you in Magic, I am an aggro player, you already know I probably mm-hmm. am playing black-red, right? If mm-hmm. I say in Hearthstone, oh, I'm an aggro player, well, I could be face hunter, I could be zoo warlock, or whatever it is these days. And I can't really say, oh, I'm a warlock player, because it's like, well, are you, what's that, a uh, handlock? Or are you yeah, Zoo? Yeah, right. Or are you like, you know, there's like each character in Hearthstone has multiple archetypes and they don't really define it. You know, some people just like play the game for the game and, you know, whatever deck they'll play, they'll play the best deck in the meta regardless mm-hmm. of what, what color it is or what, what sort of feeling it evokes. But other people will be able to attach themselves to being like what it means to be a red player, like <laughs> what kind of personality red players have or what kind of personality like blue white players yeah. have, right? And people like being identified in that sense people like being in those camps mm-hmm. and i think that's something mm-hmm. magic does really well magic does that really well and in all cases the way you build your deck kind of helps you identify like whether you like to play a style of game that is more control or more aggro or more combo or however many ways you can put together a deck in a card game but magic had the genius of putting this meta personalities around it mm-hmm. what else there's not too much more to talk about. Yeah, if there's anything else, if you still want to mention. Ah, nothing else I want to mention. Go play card games. They're really fun. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much for joining me. Oh, yeah, this was super fun. Yeah, I was originally thinking I would just put this all on hold until we got back into the office because I think it's fun to do it in person. But like with the way everything's shaping up. I mean, when do you think that's going to yeah. be? <laughs> yeah, it might not be for a long time now. So thank you for prompting me about this. Mm-hmm. And then hopefully... The people need their the content need their to content. get them through these tough times. Everyone else is also just sitting at home. <laughs> so hopefully people enjoy listening to this. And it's been a lot of fun. So thank you. All right. Yeah, thank you. I will no doubt be playing Slay the Spire later tonight. <laughs> Have fun. <laughs>